This is Sarah with Two Chicks Talking Flicks, and you're tuned in to Underground Opolis. Yeah, the wind is whipping through the trees like a train through this old town. And now that everybody is gone, that heartache's come around. And I can't see the stars I got nothing to think about Except this broken heart Yeah, the one I love has gone away Cause she could not be true And so I packed some things Took off my ring and put on them walking shoes Some tunes by the light of the moon Just roaming around this land And I'll be that wayward drifter Walking down the railroad tracks Now Lord, if I get gone I'm rambling on and I ain't looking back Now from the switchyard with this old guitar I'm heading to your town Sing you a song playing all night long, but I can't stick around. Hey everybody, welcome to Undergroundopolis, season three, episode one. And if you guys missed it, just put put it out there. Today the episode with Erie Vaughn of Danzig and Sam Hain dropped on Spotify. So if you go to Undergroundopolis on Spotify, you can check out that interview. It was a really fun time. A few announcements. Underground Opolis is selling out. We officially have corporate sponsorship. <laughs> so, for all your investment needs, check Thorwood Investments LLC. Use the code ROB. That's capital R, capital O, capital B. So, I get P A I D because doing this isn't F R E E. You know what I mean? Thorwood Investments LLC on Google, and you can look them up on Facebook, and then just use the code ROB, capital R, capital O, capital B. And Our next guest, another one of those I just can't believe, said, sure, I'll come on. (laughs) American Roots rocker, I don't know, and punk rocker. Well, should we call him a cow punker? I don't know, maybe. We'll ask him. We'll ask him if he thinks thinks it's cow punk or anything. J.B. Beverly, who was also a murder junkie at one time. I'm going to ask him a few questions about that because I always like hearing stories about that. You hear us? I can, Rob. How are you? <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, man. Wayward Drifter. I just love that song. I always have. Always love favorite, favorite Waste of Time. I love Disappear on Down the Line. Ugh, man. Uh, I'm, so, I'm glad to know you like any of them. Thank you. <laughs> first off, what's it like to have been a part of one of the most notorious bands I'm not going to say biggest bands or anything, but one of the most notorious bands, the Murder Junkies. Did you? You didn't knock your teeth out with a microphone or anything like that, did you? 
knock my teeth out. I've, I've knocked various things around with the microphone, but my teeth wasn't one of them. No, I still, still got my choppers. Yeah, they're real. You didn't do your Gigi Allen impersonation or <laughs> No, I kept my clothes on and I, I actually used toilets when I had to relieve myself. So yeah, we didn't, we didn't cross any lines there. No. Uh, what was it like though? It, well, it's, uh, it was fun. I mean, I, I genuinely enjoyed, you know, the, uh, the company, it was always entertaining, you know, some colorful characters around that camp, you know, but it, it came with its challenge, <clears throat> excuse me. It came with its challenges too. Uh, I've probably had things thrown at me that most people in most bands don't have to, you know, ever experience. Yeah. So when you started doing playing music was there or wanting to play music was there someone you saw or someone just who who was it like your main influence you said you know what i want to do that it would see somebody at a concert or tv or anything like that or is... mm, yeah i was going to say it depends on what you're talking about because as far as writing songs and trying to craft something you know decent as a songwriter my influences were largely in the old school country era, you know, Hank Williams, uh, Ernest Tubb, Lefty Frizzell, some of the early bluegrass guys. But uh, as far as putting on an intense live show, I went, I was in junior high school. This would have been like going into high school. So 1989, I want to say, uh, snuck out of my house to go see the Bad Brains uh do a reunion show after HR got out of prison that one time and seeing the uh, intensity that those guys put out on a live show. I remember at least in a live capacity saying, I, I, I want to do my version of that. I, I want to captivate people's attention. Cause those guys were like a, just a, a powder keg that erupted, you know? Do you have a particular creative process that you use or is it just one of those get that thought and you got to pull over the side of the road which is like me when i rise i write that down or i'll sure forget it i do have my own version of that i keep a like an audio recorder app in my phone and if i get inspired and i get a melody or a, a line in my head i'll grab the app and do anything from hum into it to sing gibberish just to remember the the phrasing and the meter or the, or whatever. I mean, I've jumped out of the shower to work on songs before. So it, it does hit me when it hits me. It's not like I can sit there and say, okay, well, Wednesday at six, I'm going to sit down and work on verse two. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way for me. So no, uh, I've got to, I get inspired when and where it takes me. And it's usually um, not exclusively, but it's usually the, the music comes first and then I get haunted by a chord pattern or a melodic structure for weeks and months on end. And then one day it's like, well, those are the words I was waiting for, you know. And then, this, as I like to say, at that point, the song just writes itself. I'm the conduit, you know. Do you have, Can could you narrow down a, a favorite show story to, to share with us or a tour oh, wow. story? Or something? Uh, <laughs> God, there's so many. One of my favorite ones, the first thing that popped to mind was when... Um, I wrote a song called Phone Calls from My Uncle that I dedicated to some uh, combat veterans charities. And it's kind of an amalgamation of songs that different special operations friends had shared with me, you know, their experiences over the years. I would take this guy's story from over here and this guy's story from over there. And I made sort of this one 
cohesive story, one character out of that song. And uh, we were out on tour. <clears throat> I want to say this was 2015, 2016. And uh, we were in Texas and I went to do that song. And there was a whole just wall of uh, retired vets that uh, had um, kind of posted up against the back of the show. And they someone had tipped them off to that song or they had heard it. I really don't know, but they basically, uh, I went to do the song, man. These guys all hit their feet and some of whom were crippled. And I mean, these guys all hit their feet and I was getting saluted. And, and these guys are these, some of the toughest men you'd ever want to meet are standing there crying their eyes out, like at, at full attention, saluting me. So it, that, I, of course, then after a second, I can't look at them because like I'm watching them and I'm fighting tears and it's like, you know, I've, I've, it's very emotional, but that was one of my proudest, uh, most memorable shows where it's like, you know, I've, I wrote this song to represent these men and they're showing me the respect of, you know, standing at attention and, and, and acknowledging what I had done for them. And it's, you know, put a price tag on that, man. You know, that's, that's pretty, it makes a lot of, it makes a lot of hardship worthwhile. I can tell you that we were in Denmark. I had a guy throw a prosthetic leg at my head and uh wound up taking it and i poured a bunch of beer into it and was just swilling from it you know i even said something like oh thanks for the souvenir you punk or something and i'm drinking beer out of this guy's hollowed out artificial leg and uh and then of course i i tossed it over with my stuff right i throw it next to my gear and I had every intention of keeping it, man. I was going to fly back across the Atlantic Ocean with a hell of a souvenir that had a hell of a story behind it. And, of course, the <laughs> security guy, you know, can you please give this man his leg back? He needs to get home. You know? <laughs> so uh, I made the guy apologize for hurling a prosthetic leg at my head, and he gave me a brick of hash and, and consolate, basically in exchange for his leg back and – so that one, that one ended peacefully, but now there's a bunch, man. I mean, especially with, uh, with that band, if you, if you know, or talk with Merle at all, I mean, uh, you, he's got far better stories than I do. I mean, he's, has he seen that band through how many singers? And of course we all know who his brother was. So if you really want the, the pinnacle murder junkie stories that's the guy to go through i only experienced but so much but but ironically the stuff i the what little i did experience with that band was far more crazy and unpredictable than shit that i experienced in any other band i was ever in so you know there's that do you have a least favorite show performance <clears throat> well that's a toss-up uh <laughs> If Merle's watching, he'll laugh. One of them is a murder junkie show, and it was the night that Dino decided, or some fans decided to take Dino, our drummer, and get him absolutely just beyond obliterated drunk before the show. And it was like, just imagine like a like a drunk autistic five-year-old on LSD as the drummer for your band, man. It was... <laughs> It was really bad. And, uh, yeah, that one was pretty bad. Uh, we had a couple, man. We had one we were playing, the Wayward Drifters were playing out in some little town in Illinois. And uh, we show, it's funny, I was just telling this story today, strangely. I haven't thought about it in years. But we show up in the, this little neighborhood bar, man. It didn't hold maybe 300 people. And um, it was early in the night. We were sound checking. There wasn't even 50 people there yet. And uh, 
these guys have brought in this gigantic sound system, man, with these just jumbo speakers. And I remember saying to the guy, I was like, hey, we're not on tour with Motorhead. Like, what? Why, why are you? Why do you have this stuff set up? And then we, he's like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, just go to dinner and we'll, we'll figure it out. We're a professional sound company. And so we go to dinner and I come back and this guy's got his, got the, the main vocal microphone. And he's bending the arm of the mic stand around the room in different directions. And, of course, it's picking up, you know, hot spots. Because he's, he's moving it in, in, you know, adjacent to these gigantic speakers that were way too big and jacked up too high for that room. And that mic's just feeding back terribly and, and all this stuff. And, uh, and I looked over and I said, what, what are you doing? And he says, I'm trying to balance the frequencies. And so I said to my guys, I was like, this is going to suck. You know, I said, just, I mean, you know, we're going to, this is, might as well phone this one in right now as far as this being a great show. And sadly, you know, it was every bit the nightmare I thought it was going to be. It sounded like shit, but the, the speaker system was reverberating so just coarsely through this room that, you know, those, how some bars and places have got those cheap, uh, by the way, can I curse on here? I've been trying so hard to yeah. edit my... Yeah, hell okay. yeah. <laughs> okay, hell just yeah. making sure, because I've, I've wanted to say shit a couple times, and it's just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can um, say anything. Um, no, <laughs> you know those cheap shit, like, foam ceiling panels that, that just interlace in with those cheap shit aluminum metal frames? You know what I'm talking yep. about? Yeah. Well, th- this bar had ceilings like that, and they... <laughs> We're halfway through the set, and I hear this, this is loud fucking noise, and I look up, and a big chunk of this ceiling, which had been moisture damaged and apparently dry rotted, had just fallen out of the ceiling panel, and luckily it didn't crack anybody's skull, but it had landed all over the pool table and all over the floor, and... You know, I guess dude's uh, idea of balancing the frequencies meant, you know, a demolition team. But, yeah, that place was literally falling apart. So I don't know if that was them or if we just were, you know, in that foul of a mood that we, you know, mucked with uh, the sands of time or whatever. But, yeah, it was it was bad. It was that was a pretty horrible one, too. There, there are several. It really depends on. You know, having to knock out a drunk person, uh, having to deal with the cops, like there's, you know, you know, having crazy people uh, threaten to kill you and having to give interviews to the FBI. I've experienced all kinds of stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> What's your latest album? Let's talk about it. That's currently available or that I'm working on? That's currently, we'll get to one you're working on, okay, if you're allowed yeah. to talk about uh, the it. The l- last available record I've had is uh, my first solo record, Stripped to the Root. Um, <sighs> that's... Uh, then I'm not been... as behind as I thought. <laughs> no, no, I'm behind, man. Like, Yeah, I'm the one that's behind. It's not you, Rob, I promise. Yeah. No, Stripped to the Root's the last thing I've got available uh, as far as a studio record to the public. I've done some... Music for some independent film stuff, uh, a little bit of scoring here and there. But as far as like, you know, my music proper, uh, yeah, Stripped to the Roots, the last thing that's that was released. And that's now been uh, six years. God, it's crazy. But yeah, six years ago. Well, that's uh, that's got the cover on there to have, uh, Ghost the Most. Yes, on the deluxe version. Yes, that's correct. I did do that song on there. That is such a great. Sorry, a huge, Mike, if you're listening. What What was it that made you? Because that's such a that's a, a, such an intensely great song, and and to do it acoustic, I don't think anybody could have done it acoustic like you could have. You know, I mean, this. 
I is greatly it, appreciate that. Yeah, it, that song kind of became my uh, kind of became my go-to when I was trying to finish "Strip to the Root." It, it wasn't something that I had planned on recording. Uh, I was done in the studio, just sitting there with the guitar and started noodling around with it. I'd never even played it before. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, I I knew it. I knew the song. I'd never actually like you know performed it for anybody before. It just kind of happened, man. I was playing it, and a buddy of mine that was around, he said, you know, you should track that. Like, he's like, you really sing that, you know, like, he said, I can tell it means something to you, is what he said. He said, I can tell it means something to you. And I said, yeah, it's kind of been my go-to, you know, getting through this record, because the the period in which I recorded Strip to the Root was one of the lowest, uh, darkest periods I've ever had. It was, it was a rough time, so... um there were a lot of things musically that were, you know, kind of cathartic and, and uh, <clears throat> just things I had to lean on, man. That song was one of them. So I, I did it. I did my version of it in one take. Uh, and I just did it and, you know, set it and forget it, right? So uh, so like I said, if, if Cooley's listening, I'm sorry I butchered your song. <laughs> Shit. That is, you did it like... I heard it. I was like, I can't believe that this is <laughs> how good. This is so great. Of course, I, I'm all, I was already a drive by truckers fan, but I I love your version. And uh, what's coming up? What What's the next album? Well, I started if, working if on you're allowed to talk about back it back in 2016, and then fall of 2017, man, I was like two thirds of the way done with the record, and I tore my right rotator cuff. And I wish I had a good story behind that. I wish I could tell you that I've, you know, I, I, you know, jumped off my motorcycle to rescue a kid or something, or, or, you know, I wish I had a fun story for you, but it's middle age injury, man. I went to, I'd been stretching the night before and I went to get out of bed. I leaned to push my body weight up. And when I did, I, I felt it pop and, it just didn't get any better. I wound up doing a real intensive uh, physical therapy thing. It took me 18 months to get over that injury. Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have to go under the knife, but I had to do a real intensive physical therapy, like I said. And, I mean, I did, I had I was so immobilized. I mean, I had to learn how to do the wipe left-handed. I mean, it was bad. You know, I, I, I lost a lot of mobility and stuff. And so uh, no sooner did I get my shoulder together and I go back to work on – head south and i realized i was like man you know some of this ain't gonna work like some of the songs that i thought were gonna really work for that record going back and listening to it with fresh ears especially with some of the stuff i had written while i was hurt it's like no this album's taking its own shape you know what i mean like i i have to kind of honor that even though i i could have just stuck the last two songs on there and said forget it you know people get what they get but i'm a bit of a perfectionist about my music and I didn't want to shortchange my fan base by handing them an album that I was only 70% truly proud of, you know? So I scrapped the last three or four songs and set out to re-record them, which of course I'm still trying to finish, but no sooner did I get myself together and COVID happens. And then it's, you know, going back on the roads out of the question and then it's keep the lights on and the whole world stopped turning. So I probably don't have to get into that part of it with you, but yeah, that was just the worst Timing ever, man. You start working on a record, you get most of it done, you get injured, you get off the injury, you realize you're going to augment the record and make some changes, and then, you know, all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, I'm, I, I have, I'm, 
I've got two more songs to record and a couple of little things left to mix. I'm going to try to have the album done by the end of the summer, but uh, it's just I got to kind of pick away at it on my spare time. It's not something I can devote, you know, five, six days a week to right now. So, yeah, but make, make it. it I, I get it. I get what you said when you're 70% proud of it. I've got, I've got an album I'm really proud of. I've also got an album that I look back and like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Oh, I look back at <laughs> all it, my albums like that. Are you kidding? <laughs> Don't put uh, that on. Wait till I leave. Wait till I leave. My, you know, there's always those people, you get those friends, you go by somebody's house or a party or something, which I can't stand going to parties any which way but you show up somewhere and hey jb's here let's play his music it's like no please don't like put on anything else man you know put on the, put on you know the fucking spice girls for all i care i don't want to hear myself you know so nothing wrong with little spice girls every now and then. <laughs> oh you've made a movie is that correct made or uh i've been in a couple of things i'm making a film but it got uh it got postponed. Uh, I lost two locations when COVID hit, so I've had right. to put it on hold. But yeah, it's a 30-minute short. It's called The Killer Among Us. And it's uh, kind of a homage to like Twilight Zone, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side. There's like a half-hour vignette, you know, horror thriller mystery type shows. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I've got some, some heavy hitters involved in that talent-wise. And uh Myself and Capricorn Rising and Haunted Pamlico are going to all figure it out. It's just really a, a, an issue with regards to the, um, what do you call it, with uh, having lost locations. And, you know, a couple of people on the on the cast are, uh, one of which is older, one of which has a, some compromising health issues. And, you know, when COVID hit, of course, you know, okay, I've lost two locations and I need to now buy plane tickets for people who may not want to travel. So I just put the whole thing on hold until... We can make more sense of what was going on, you know. Is there a famous musician that you most admire that you can narrow down? That's difficult, man, because I like different people. I like different things about different people. Um, That's why I like this I always question. <laughs> would have said that as a songwriter, I was always the most inspired by Hank Williams because nobody wrote songs as purely and, and you know... Um, he was just different, man. He he, you know, was the every man, and I've I've always held a held him in the highest regard, highest esteem as a songwriter. Um, performers, God, there's so many, man. From an intensity perspective, I mean, I've always had a soft spot for Iggy Pop. I mean, you know, Iggy could outperform a lot of people. Uh, I kind of got to know, uh, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead in the last few years of his life. Lemmy was a huge inspiration in the sense of, you know, just be you and be you fearlessly. You know, the people that love you are going to love you. The people that hate you are going to hate you. You're not going to change any of them, you know, by, by too big of a margin. So as far as, you know, being true to yourself and not needing to play the industry's game or anything like that, you know, Lemmy was a huge inspiration on me. Um, I mean, Petty was another one, man, that as a, I, I love tom petty's idea of you know no vanilla like if you're familiar enough with his band you know mike campbell can play his ass off right that guy can he's a guitar wizard but you'd never know that listening to heartbreakers albums because 
you know, it, there was sort of that no vanilla rule, just everybody lay back and honor the song. And having that discipline is something I find very admirable. So I've always looked up to Petty in that respect. And um, I mean, you know, different people for different reasons, man. It really depends on, you know, but at the same time, I kind of discovered who I was by realizing I'm not going to be like any of my heroes, you know, but by so much, you know, you can draw influence and inspiration from certain people, <clears throat> you know, but at the end of the day, you've got to be yourself and, and for better or for worse. And if you are a public figure, I don't care if you make music or you're an actor or you're a, you know, be a YouTuber. It doesn't matter if you, if you, if you're a public figure, you're going to get haters. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to get as many haters sometimes as you have praisers. And I kind of have just learned, <clears throat> excuse me, over the years to take both with an equal grain of salt. If you start listening either to people who are smooching your rear end or, you know, threatening to take your head off because you're an asshole, especially on the internet, you're kind of running the risk of really doing some damage to yourself, you know, emotionally, it's, it, you know, can mess with your mind after a while. So I, I kind of live by the, the rule of, you know, take your um, praisers and your detractors with an equal grain of salt so that you don't get tormented in your headspace or emotionally over the shit coming out of people's mouths. What would be possibly the most personal song you've written? Maybe one of the, would be real that's real I mean, i'm sure they're all like a, a diary of your life but is there one that you can narrow down that's like real real personal to you like be your favorite song uh yes and no i mean i i try to challenge myself you know as a songwriter uh 25 years ago i would have told you uh or well 20 yeah, 23 years ago, I would have told you Wayward Drifter because of how personal that was when I wrote it and where I was in my life. But more recently, um, I wrote the songs uh, Strip to the Root and Disappear on Down the Line on the same night, both of which were kind of an alternative to suicide. It was the only time in my life I thought about blowing my brains out. And uh, I kind of had this understanding come over me where it was like, man, you better do something with this before you do something to yourself as a result of, the, of these feelings. And so I kind of flushed my inner toilet off on those two songs. I'm pretty proud of that, at least in a way. I, I don't know if if uh, staying alive was the smartest decision to make or, or, or not, but uh, I, you know, it's where I chose to leave it. And at least I found that negative energy a home it lives in those songs it's no longer festering inside me so I, i'm i'm pretty proud of that at least as a you know within the human experience of not holding on to dumb shit that doesn't serve you uh, i'm pretty proud of phone calls from my uncle a song i did for for our combat vets and not in some cheesy that song's not about you know you know break out your flags america you know this is much deeper it's much more like what these guys go through in the the sacrifices they make, the torment that they have to live with, uh, the toll it takes on them as, you know, otherwise decent people and <clears throat> as good people. So it's kind of a dense and sad song in a way. Uh, it's definitely not some flag-waving patriotic shit. Uh, it's 
looking at them as human beings, man, and, and getting people to kind of stop and say, wow, they, they really do have to go through things like this. I'm also, I got a song that's going to be on Head South called Navajo. That's about an old native combat vet, uh, Navajo country that, uh, this, I tell the story as a narrative. And in fact, it's on YouTube. There's a kind of a, a, a sneak peek listen, but it's about a guy that, you know, joins up during Vietnam, joins the military and overhears a superior when they were just, they were trying to tunnel into what looked like a suicide mission. And the superior basically said, well, you know, send old Navajo Johnny. I mean, he'll go. And if he gets killed, who's the wiser? Nobody gives a shit. He's just a Navajo Indian, right? That was the, the that's what he overheard his superior saying. So the, the hook of the song is, uh, you know, send Johnny, he'll go. Uh, nobody need to know he'll likely die, but if not, we'll send him home because he's just a Navajo. And so, you know, I'm touching on some things like that. And what was challenging about that song is it was based on a real man. It was based on a true story. And I've kind of taken it in more recent times. The new challenge is, can you write for that guy over there, that guy over there, you know, does it have to always be your story and your experiences or can you, can you take what you've heard about another person and can you articulate, you know, it's almost like being a, if you know the term sin eater, it's like being a sin eater, man. It's like, can you reach into their, their experiences, even if you don't share them and, and pull the good, the bad and the ugly and articulate it in a pretty, you know, uh, basic way. So yeah, I, I, do I have a favorite? Not overall. I, there's a few that I, I think are different, you know, more stand out for different reasons. Um, but yeah, if I had to pick a favorite, I'm going to leave that up to you guys, man. Because you know, the minute they're recorded and they're released, I've always said this: they're as much yours now as they were mine. You know, I'm just the antenna sticking up in the air, and you know. With a minute, I if I'm happy enough with it to put it on a record and sell it to you for 10, 15 bucks, whatever it is, then at that point, it's it's as much yours as it is mine. Whatever you take from it, whatever your you know, my favorite. If okay, if I'm speaking to you as Rob, it's like my favorite JB song is whatever your favorite JB song is, you know, because if that's the one that touched you, then there's honor in that, you know. I'm gonna ask a question I've never asked any of my guests before Do you have a favorite TV show? I don't watch TV. You don't watch TV? If I had to pick a favorite TV show, I would say the series uh, Deadwood that was on HBO is my favorite television series of all time. And a couple of my friends were on that show. I'm friends with W. Earl Brown and Ray McKinnon. Uh, They they were both on that show. Earl played Dan Doherty, Swearingen's hitman behind the bar with the big knife. And and, uh, that's my buddy Earl. And then my friend Ray McKinnon played uh, Reverend Smith on season one. So I've got some personal tie, but even if you remove the friendships I have, the um, that you'll never find a TV series that was better written, better cast, better acted, better directed. I mean, it's David Milch, man. You can't go wrong with David Milch. But I, as far as cable TV, network TV, can, I mean, of course, Deadwood was 15 years ago. <clears throat> um, I haven't watched any modern television and I haven't had cable in a few years. I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell. I couldn't name you five TV shows unless it's something that's still on today that was on three or four years ago. I mean, if Family Guy's still on, I always laugh at that dumb shit. And, uh, you know, but I, I, 
I'm so far removed from it. Much like with modern music, man, I couldn't. If if, if you bet me a thousand dollars, if you said JB, I'll give you a thousand bucks, you can name three people on the pop charts or the country charts or the R and B charts or whatever Billboard Top 100. I, I'd owe you a thousand bucks. I couldn't tell you yeah, three people who are on the charts right now in any genre of music, and that's probably a good thing. <laughs> so, I don't know. What all instruments do you play? Well, primarily guitar, uh, vocals. Uh, I've taught myself, I mean, bass. I was a drummer before anything else. I was a drummer for seven years before I ever picked up oh, a guitar. A wow. um, little bit of stand-up bass in recent years, especially when in light of working on Head South, I've had to work on some on my piano playing, which is really hard because I'm naturally left-handed, but I taught myself how to play right-handed guitar, and I can play drums conventionally. But getting myself to play keyboard has been the hardest because my instincts is to play cross-armed because i want to keep bass lines with my right hand and do you know fills and stuff with my left hand and i don't know if they do make a left-handed keyboard i've never seen one so <laughs> it's one of those things where having to fight the urge to play cross-armed and retrain the mechanics of my of my digits has been challenging but yeah mainly guitar bass drums piano I, my dad's like this too, man. My dad's the kind of guy like you can hand him a any instrument with strings on it and leave him for a half hour and come back and he'll play you a song. And it could be anything from you know an old bluegrass standard to something as simple as Mary Had a Little Lamb, but he'll play you something. I'm kind of like that too, man. I can sit and putz around with you know. I've picked up people's mandos. I'm I ain't worth a shit at playing fiddle but i can play with a mandolin a little bit i've sat and messed with a with a harp you know i've and i don't mean a harmonica i can do that too but i mean like an actual orchestral harp i've messed with harps i've you know messed with uh oboes and all kinds of stuff man so but as far as my go-to's in the studio i kind of wanted to learn enough about uh, a variety of instruments to where if, if let's say your band came to record with me and you were like, you know, all right, man, I got guitar covered. I got bass covered. I got piano covered, but I don't have a drummer. It's like, I'll be your session drummer. Send me your songs. Right. Needed to be able to improvise with some of the people I've worked with in my studios. So, you know, but other than that, it's, uh, it's yeah, those are the main ones, but you know, like I said, piano is challenging, but I'm, I'm working past that. I've even gotten to the point now where I'm, I'm getting more comfortable and confident, but I have to, I have to, I have to mess with it. You know, do you prefer the studio or the stage? That's like asking if you, that's the closest analogy I can give you is like, Oh, do you enjoy, you know, kissing your kids goodbye on their way to school or making out with your wife after they're gone? Um, <laughs> two completely different things, you know. It's like uh, with the studio, you get to create something that is essentially, you know, a document, right? I mean, you're leaving something that's going to be listened to by, if you're lucky, an awful lot of people long after you're dead. So there's a a beauty of chronicling something for the record in making a record album but what it's lacking is what you get on stage you don't get the same kind of adrenal rush you don't get anywhere from you know a handful to a few thousand people standing in front of you singing along and throwing you their energies and and uh contributing to the ritual 
as it were. It's just, I look at it as different. Like I said, it's one's like kissing your kids goodbye and the other one's making out with your wife after they're gone, man. That's the best analogy I can give you. So <laughs> I, I love them both for different reasons. I love creating studio magic, but there's nothing like the thrill of an engaged live audience to feed off of, especially when you get into a tour because you know, unless you've done it, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you get on the road and day one, you're firing all cylinders, even end of week one, but you get, you know, day 18 and you've got another 24 shows left before you head home and you're halfway across the country and you've been doing your own driving and everyone's gotten sick at some point or another in your vehicle. And you know, and you're missing home. It's like at that point, you need the crowd, man. You need to play those gigs where people are getting out on stage. You're getting out on stage and being made to feel a rush. You know what I mean? Where you're, where, where they're, they're truly giving you something to, to work with because without, and I used to have told anybody can tell you that's seen me, man, I, I'm not shy. I'll tell the crowd, you know, I need you SOBs to give me every last bit of what you got, man, you know, sing along with me, yell at me and, you know, I, but their engagement sometimes can literally be the difference. So. Do you have anything you'd like to plug in or anything before we wrap this up? Yeah. My, my winning lottery ticket. Let me plug this. In. <laughs> um, no, I'm working on a new show concept called life after America. It's kind of a, a mixture of, um, like disaster preparation and wilderness survival. I don't yet know where that's going to land, but I'm going to be working on that. I'm trying to get head South finished, you know, and, um, <clears throat> other than that, man, I, I don't know. I don't know when I'll tour again. Uh, I, I don't want to believe that I'll never do it, but you know, between the, what's happened to the economy and, uh, COVID and everything, it's hard to say. I definitely can't go out there and ride the roller coaster the way I did in my 20s or early 30s. You know, it's a, that's a young man's dance. You know, it's like, hey, we made, you know, 400 bucks a piece on, on Thursday and Friday. And, and you know, so you play a half-ass gig on, let's say, that Saturday. You take Sunday off and Monday it's like, you know, hey, how much did we make last night? You know, oh, gas money. Or, you know, we covered our expenses, but then you're dipping into what you made two nights before at a better show it's like that roller coaster man the ups and downs of it i don't know how much of that i feel like doing anymore you know but um but uh, you know we'll see we'll see where the road takes me the good news is i'm open to it i uh you know whatever happens happens i'm not i'm not broken or bitter to the point of uh feeling bad man if, if um if i lay my head down the night to go to sleep and i don't wake up tomorrow it's a blessing Complaints or worries out of me. In the heat of the war, from just outside the sergeant's door, Johnny heard the sergeant's final word on a place that they were about to explore. And he said, Send Johnny, he'll go. Nobody.
Hi, this is Kathy Wright. I'm the owner of Trax Bar and Grill in Louisville, Kentucky. This is the joke of the week. Why didn't the melons run off to get married? They can't elope. That is all our time we have for now. Thank you for listening to Undergroundopolis. Remember, we do this every Wednesday night, bringing you new and exciting artists every week. Be sure to hit up their websites and social media and stream or download their music. If you like this show, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, any streaming platform, and leave us a review as well. I'm your host, Rob Lyon, signing off.